Would you pray with me? God, would you hide your word in our hearts so we might not, may not sin against you? Through your spirit, would you move today to open our ears and our hearts to hear the truth of your word? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So some of you might know that I came into pastoral ministry out of educational theater. One of the favorite jobs that I had in theater sometimes is working backstage as a dresser. I remember one theater, Theater L'Homme Dieu in Minnesota, and um, my colleague John and I would have to dress the lead actor in like 30 seconds. And so we would prepare, we'd often rig his costumes with Velcro or snap tape and hit underdress, so we'd have one costume underneath the other. So we'd exit the stage, we'd take off his clothes, and then he'd go back on stage. Now you can't always do that because you can't underdress four costumes, so other times you have to change entirely, but we'd be ready for that too. I'd be standing there with his shirt and he'd put his arms in it, and John would be down helping him change his shoes. Vegan dresser is really fun. We also had these little lights that would bite in our mouth so we could make sure that we were buttoning or snapping the correct snaps together. Um, it was a kind of transformation, wasn't it? But unfortunately for us all, that is usually not how transformation works. No one's waiting for us in the wings, ready to help us have a whole new outfit on, right? It would be nice, though. So this month, we have been focusing on the theme of transformation and how Jesus transforms us, how Jesus metamorphosizes us, which is the literal Greek word for transformation. Just like a caterpillar transforms, metamorphosizes into a butterfly. The transformation doesn't just magically happen. We have to put ourselves in the way of transformation, Submitting ourselves to the voice of Jesus in Scripture and through the body of Christ in the church. And we have to attentively participate in the work God has for us to do. Last week, Pastor Lars preached on trusting Thomas and how his story at the end of John's gospel account shows us the necessity of trust to transformation. So here's an overview of the key points of our sermon series this month. Transformation takes submission, transformation takes active participation, and transformation takes trust. And this week, transformation takes sanctification. Now, not as easy to say and not as familiar a word, perhaps, but this is vitally important. And if you're like, uh, I don't know that word, that's okay. You're going to learn it today. So transformation takes sanctification. But unlike submission, active participation, and trust, sanctification is not something that we are responsible for. It's not something we do. It's something that God does to us through Jesus. Sanctification is God's work. We hear about it in our first text today, so I invite you to stand as I read from the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. It's different from the book of Colossians we've been reading. So this is from the beginning of the letter. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So this is the beginning of the letter. It's the salutation. 1 Corinthians is a rather long letter, and a second letter to the church follows right after it in our Bible. And from the context of this letter, we know that this church in the cosmopolitan city of Corinth has a ton of problems. Paul's going to name them in the letter, but I'm going to give you an overview of some of the problems in this church. So, first of all, people in the congregation are taking each other to court. Wouldn't that be awful? Awkward, too. Uh, Some of the men in the church are going to other temples and sleeping with the prostitutes there. On Sundays, when the church gathers for worship and to have a meal and communion together, the people who are more wealthy and don't have to work that day, they gobble up all the food, the meal, and the communion food. And so the poor people who can't get the day off, when they get there, the food is gone. That's a problem. Another problem, one member, a man, is sleeping with his father's wife, with his stepmother. Another problem is that people are really disorderly in worship. They're talking out of turn. They're talking too much. And some people in the church are even denying a central, central part of the Christian faith, the resurrection of the dead. So this is a church with a ton of problems. The church is a mess. The people are a mess. There's a lot of sin and some problematic theology. But if we think about the text we just read, Paul begins this letter writing, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified is hagiatso. It is the same word that we pray when we say the Lord's Prayer, which we just did. We say, hallowed, sanctified, holy be thy name. Same word. Think of the irony of this. Paul is calling these people, these men and women, holy. They've been made holy, Paul says, made holy in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ. Later on in the letter, Paul writes, but you were washed, you were sanctified, hagiatso, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. To be made holy, to be holy, has to do, this is the biblical meaning, with being set apart for a special service, like the furniture and the accessories of God's temple in the Old Testament. These items that were used to worship God in the sacrificial system and the priests who would offer, they were called sanctified, made holy, holy and set apart for God. We don't always have this word in our culture apart from the church, so let me give you something that might help us understand it. Maybe you grew up, or now you have, a home with fine china in it. A china cabinet, perhaps, with glass. And maybe it's Wedgwood, like this India design here. But this china is displayed, it's expensive, and it's in the china cabinet, and it's taken out for special times. Maybe a Sunday meal, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Tough part with this china is you can't put it in the dishwasher. So you have to put it in the sink and maybe a towel in the bottom of the sink so when you wash it, it doesn't crack against the bottom of the sink, right? So this is sort of like sanctified, set apart for a special service, for a special purpose, special. But with this church of Corinth that Paul has just called sanctified and holy, 
when you know what's going on there, and then you read Paul's greeting to them, he calling them all holy and sanctified, it's sort of like Paul is holding up a really dirty and chipped plate, and he's saying, look, it's holy. It's sanctified. It's set apart. And we're like, what are you talking about, Paul? But this is one of the paradoxes of the Christian faith. And to understand this, we have to enter into the biblical understanding of what it means to be human. First, and I've said this before in this series, humans are not okay as we are. We are sinful. We are corrupt. I mean, and this isn't just evident inside the church. This is evident even outside the biblical worldview because we're broken and the world is not okay as it is. It's not right. And we are part of the world. And because we're sinful, we're not set apart. We're not holy as we are. And because of that, we can't simply just walk in, waltz into the presence of God, just you, like you wouldn't take a, a dirty and chipped plate and put it in front of the Queen of England or something. Because God is holy and perfect, and we're not. And, and just like you or I, even today, couldn't walk into the presence of a human king or queen or even president, I mean, you have to maybe have a background check and an appropriate outfit, and you have to know the right people. And it's like this, but so much more with God. God, the creator of the universe. And so because of this vast chasm separating us, sinful humanity, from our holy God, something has to happen. We need to be made clean. And in the biblical imagination, what cleans, what makes something holy and set apart is blood. Now, this can kind of sound strange and weird to our ears because in our culture, we know a lot about blood. We know that diseases can spread through blood, so we clean with hydrogen peroxide. And, and in the hospital, there are special containers to put the bloody stuff in. But blood is necessary for life, and so it represents life in Scripture. And in the Old Testament sacrificial system in the book of Leviticus, blood would be sprinkled around and inside the tabernacle as a sort of detergent. It would symbolically wash the temple of death, the natural result of sin, and defilement. And because this temple, this tabernacle was set apart holy, it was made holy then through this cleansing. And because of this, God's presence would stay in the midst of God's people through the continually washing by blood. And this is what the entire tabernacle and the later the temple system was all about. The lifeblood of animals served as a cleansing agent to cleanse people of their sin so that they could be in the presence of God. But we know that in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. There was no longer a place to make things right. But Jesus knew this was going to happen. And so that's why Jesus himself was the final sacrifice, not just for Hebrew people, but for all people, offering himself on the cross. The author of Hebrews writes, and it is by God's will that we have been sanctified. There's that word again, made holy, hagios. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Because Jesus is God, he is un eternal and unchanging, so too does his blood eternally and unchangingly cleanse us from all sin, making us holy in the presence of God so we can be allowed to be in the presence of God through Christ. 
And so this is what Paul is referencing when he says that the church in Corinth, these believers who are taking each other to court, sleeping with prostitutes, gobbling up all the communion food so the poor don't get any, this is how Paul can call these horrible people saints. Because their holiness isn't theirs. It's Christ's. It's Christ who sanctifies us. We have been made holy in Christ. I hope you hear this as good news. This is really good news, my friends. Some of us might say, oh my goodness, that is such a relief. I don't have to worry anymore. Jesus makes me holy. I am holy because of Jesus. Now I can do what I want. Hold back a minute, I say. (laughs) We are not done with the conversation yet. Because even though believers in Jesus have been sanctified and made holy, we are still called, through this biblical text, to maturity. We are still called to transformation. Because even if we're horrible saints, maybe dragonish saints, ultimately, we don't want it to stay that way. God doesn't want us to stay that way. He made us for better. And it's not good for us. It's not good for our communities. It's not good for the kingdom of God that Jesus established. Jesus wants us to be transformed. Last week in his message, Pastor Lars mentioned how Eustace, the character in C.S. Lewis' The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, had become a dragon. That's the image that we've used for the sermon series, is Eustace as a dragon. And how, in his dragonish form, he started to experience inner and relational transformation. But he was still a dragon, which is unfortunate if he were created to be a boy. And dragon Eustace is beginning to despair. But one night, Eustace the dragon meets Aslan the lion. Aslan is the Christ character in these books. Eustace is very afraid, which is interesting because we all know that even a lion is no match for a dragon in a bout. But Eustace senses an invitation from the lion to follow it, so he does. And he is led to a mountain, one he has never seen before, even though he's flown all over this island. And this, this mountain has a garden and trees and fruit. This should sound familiar to us. And in the middle of the garden is a well. The well looks very refreshing to Eustace. He imagines how delightful the water might feel to his swollen leg. And he wants to get in. But the lion says he must undress first. And so Eustace looks down at his dragon body and sees these horrible scales. But he remembers that dragons are a sort of reptile. And so he starts to scratch his skin. And a layer of skin peels off. It's like a snake. And he starts to get in the water. And and then he notices that the skin on his forearm is just as scaly and rough as his past skin. And so he scratches and tears a second layer off. And a third layer. And he still looks the same. And Eustace says, I I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my injured leg. You can see his leg has a bracelet on it that he stole. And when he becomes a dragon, it gets all swollen around it. And the lion says, you will have to let me undress you. Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat down on my back. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff off, just as I thought I'd done to myself three other times, only they hadn't hurt. 
And there it was, laying in the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker than the others had been. And then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And I saw why. I turned into a boy again. So this idea of undressing that Lewis uses to describe Eustace transformation isn't that different from a butterfly emerging from a chrysalis or from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae when he tells them how they are different now than before. And this is a passage we've been hearing a lot in this series. Colossians 3, 1 through 14. So if you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and is in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Note that Paul is discussing a new identity. You, church, have been raised with Christ. His blood, his cleansing blood is on you. But now that you're with Christ in the presence of God, act like it. Yes, Jesus has made us holy, but we are still called to participate in that holiness. You're holy, Paul is saying. Now act like it. Take off those dragon suits, the ones of anger and wrath and malice. Stop slandering and abusing others with your language. He would, say, he would add online if he was writing in the 21st century. Don't lie. That's your old outfit. Remember, you have new clothes. These clothes aren't about your ethnic identity or where you're from or what your social status is, but these clothes show that Christ is all and is in all. It is about Christ. And then he describes these new outfits, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forgiveness, love. This is the new outfit. These are the new clothes. And this, trans this is transformation. And taking off the old is hard. There's no one waiting in the wings for a quick change, right? 
Just like Eustace, we need help. Just like Eustace, we can't do it all by ourselves, but we don't have to. Jesus makes us holy, and then he equips us. He gives us gifts, gifts like the presence of God through the Holy Spirit with us right now, the teaching of God through Scripture and the church, and a person that we can trust, Jesus. And as Aslan undresses Eustace, Eustace allows the claws of this lion to remove the dragon skin that has kept him from being the person he was to be. Eustace submits to Aslan. He actively participates too. He's not fighting, right? He's trusting. And the Eustace who has complained and stolen rationed water and made fun of the crew and bullied his cousins and had absolutely no trust that Narnia or Aslan were true. Eustace is transformed. Maybe not all at once, but he is transformed. About Eustace, C.S. Lewis writes, it would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of these I shall not notice. The cure had begun. The cure had begun. So my friends, as we conclude this time of pondering transformation, I have some different invitations for us all. Some of us who identify as Christian, maybe for a long time, you might have a really strong confidence in the grace of God and assurance of salvation through the blood of Jesus. And this is good. But rather than seeking to be matured and transformed in the faith, for some of us, it is easier just to sit back and live and live, live and let live, not to think about transformation, to be complacent, putting on the desires and idols of this world, like a beautiful bracelet on a dragon arm. And these desires and ideologies can take center stage in our lives, whether it's political ideologies or that of work or even family, succumbing to pleasure and the misuses of sex or food or material goods, centering our lives around these things rather than the person and presence of Christ. But the fact is that these things will deform us. Like Eustace dragon bracelet, it might look beautiful, but it will cause obsession and pain, and this is not freedom. This is slavery. This is a pattern of the world. But Paul writes, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Strip off the old self and put on the new self. Seek freedom of transformation through the work of Jesus in your own life and relinquish the dragon skin of idolatry and turn to your first love, Jesus. Turn in obedience and submission. And let Jesus, the only one who knows how to do this, strip you of the dragon skin. It is ugly and it isn't who God wants you to be. Now for others of us here, we might have forgotten or never even learned that we have actually been sanctified, made holy by Christ. Perhaps you look in the metaphorical spiritual mirror and all you see is your own unholiness, your own dragon skin. And so you work hard and try and strive to please God. And because of this, you might live in a continual state of disappointment in yourself for not achieving holiness. Maybe even a, a continual sense of guilt or trepidation for the day of judgment. And to those who live like this, my friends, this is not freedom either. This too is bondage. 
remember that you have been raised with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our attempts at righteousness cannot make us holy. Only Jesus can make us holy. He has done it already. It's accomplished. And for everyone else, our world is full of ways that we can be transformed. People are ready to help us transform from whoever we are into whoever we want to be. Any amount of money, you can do it. But let me tell you, they don't know you like our creating God knows you. They don't love you like Jesus loves you. Only Jesus can transform us into the person and people that we are meant to be. If you're interested in learning more about this, reach out to me or Pastor Lars or Pastor Simon. And Lars' canopy course on solitude and silence are two disciplines that really, really lead to transformation. So I want to encourage you in that. So there's a moment when the butterfly crawls out of the chrysalis. It trembles at first. I I don't really think butterflies feel the same way human beings do, but if we were to anthropomorphize it, I wonder how it would feel in its thoughts. It may be a little wobbly, but I bet it feels really free. Imagine having a life where you can only inch a little bit at a time as a caterpillar and then suddenly having the ability to fly. I mean, this is what the sanctification of Christ does for us. It enables us to be transformed, to live in holy freedom, not to do whatever we want, but to be who Jesus wants us to be. It's a whole new outfit. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. New clothes sometimes take a little bit of getting used to. But why would you want to go back to those rags? That dragon suit. Why would we want to go back to being a caterpillar? My friends, let Jesus transform you. Because you saints, you holy ones, have been made holy through the work of Jesus. Live into it. Because the cure has begun. The cure has begun. Let's pray together. Jesus, you know where everybody is on their journey with you. You know the thoughts and the struggles here. May your spirit continue to work in our lives to help us to recognize how you have made us holy and also to lead us in actively pursuing maturation and transformation because this is a witness for who you are, a witness for the power of the gospel and a witness to how much you love human beings created in your image. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please stand.